<clears throat> Good evening. I'm Ron Mackey. As part of a renewed sponsorship agreement with the Mackey Company, I have officially and legally changed my name to Ron Mackey. I have made this change in exchange for the full sum of $900. I am not proud. Making this move presented an opportunity to ask myself this question. Have I ever been proud? The answer is no. And so today, Ron Mackey is $900 richer than Ron Scalzo was yesterday. But let's be clear. Ron Mackey is not just doing this for cash. I also signed a new deal in exchange for free stuff. Because Ron Mackey actually uses the stuff that Mackey makes to make this attention-grabbing podcast. The Onyx 24-channel premium analog mixer. That's Ron Mackey's master control. The DB100 desktop boom arm makes me look like a pimp during Zoom conversations with the Mackie stonecutters as I emote mightily into the Mackie Element USB microphone. Hello! This is Ron Mackie. <laughs> yeah! Ron Mackie loves Mackie. They've got all sorts of cool gadgets. Not just the stuff they gave me. Speakers and amplifiers, cases and covers, earphones and more. It makes Ron Mackey wonder, why does Ron Mackey not have the MCaster Live? Or the Mackie MCU controller? Come to think of it, Ron Mackey doesn't even have a Mackie hoodie. Or even a Mackie Custom Can Cooley. Let's see. A Mackie Custom Can Cooley is available for 99 cents under the swag tab at Mackie.com. I've been chilling for this company for almost a year now, and they can't even send me a can coolie? Seriously? I changed my name! In the 21st century, Mackie continues to crank out the hits with legendary products that have become industry standards and spawned countless imitators, bringing great sound within the reach of modest budgets and lint-filled pockets. So pull up your socks and put some new gear on your shopping list at Mackie.com. is victory? Is victory defeating an opponent? Is it slaying a dragon? Outliving all your friends? How long does victory last? How long can you savor it? Do you know victory when it happens? Here on the old podcast, we discuss victories. Memorable tours, packed houses, Grammy wins. We discuss failures too. Getting dropped by a label, getting screwed over, 
The ends of relationships. The end of bands. Shit, the end of times. During the making of episode 123 of Independent Minded, I've been reflecting a lot on victory. Because when you're an artist or an athlete, a broadcaster or a podcaster, a professional whatever you do, are you ever truly satisfied? There are always higher mountains to climb. And in the music industry, there are roadblocks, potholes, flaming barrels thrown by an escaped gorilla. No, wait, that's Donkey Kong. Anyway, the point is, it's hard to win. And unlike video games, we only get one life. Not three. One. So we gotta make it count. And we've gotta savor our victories. Because like us, they won't be around forever. You know, there's still the pie in the sky, 13-year-old kid, like, I want to play Wembley, I want to play Madison Square Garden, whatever. Like, of course I still want that to happen. I still, in my heart of hearts, believe that it will happen at some point. But if you're just measuring your success by that, there's a whole journey along the way that you're going to miss out on. Michael Raziel and Laurel Sorensen are bandmates in the Lovin'. They're also roommates. But they're not lovers. At least not that I know of. And considering the history of deep shared experiences they've had in this band, some of which they'll share later in this episode, I want to interview them together. And because I only have one microphone, and one not-so-long microphone cable, for desired effect and with a little coaxing for me, they kind of have to curl up on the couch together. You're like a couple in the end of When Harry Met Sally right now. (laughs) 40 years, and we still love each other. conversation with the Lovin' starts with a turkey sandwich. After lunch, we bring it to the band's East Nashville residence. The conversation, not the sandwich. I ate that shit fast. We set up shop in the living room, and as I unpack my gear, Michael offers me some whiskey. Classy. This is a house that multiple members of the Lovin' also happen to live in. And so the Lovin' live-in is not just known for its whiskey selection. It's super convenient for jamming, writing, and bonding. And for Laurel, the band's lead singer, every day begins the same way. I get up every morning. For three hours a day, I write songs. That's what I can control. I can't control if the TikTok algorithm thinks that this particular video of my face up close is the one that everyone's going to see. And boom, one 80s rom-com joke and one 13-second response in, and I already feel a kinship with this band. For under-the-radar artists, for under-the-radar podcasts... It's not just that the struggle for attention is real. It's also that the struggle is nonsense. So focusing on the art is what should always matter the most. And being in the same hut with your bandmates almost forces you to focus. 
other band members will be walking through the house and if when I come out to make coffee they're like oh I like that one then it's like okay we should practice that one and if they're like I don't know about that one or like they don't say anything I'm like all right I guess that one sucks that so we won't play that so we like everybody like picks the songs through the wall basically so a riff is never like out of earshot is the point right? yeah exactly yeah and that's with intention I would imagine does it ever get obnoxious where it's just like <laughs> yeah well so I'm a late sleep I sleep in late Michael is the drummer in the lovin a drummer who likes to sleep in go figure for four of the band's six years, Laurel and Michael have been living in this Nashville house together. I don't think I've ever woken up without hearing Laurel's howl or something like that in the morning, and I'm just like, it's like the cock oh, crowing. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's fun. What a great way. I mean, I don't need an uh, alarm clock, you know? It's a better way to wake up than an alarm clock. I would imagine yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's yeah. paying you a compliment. Big compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound better than an alarm yeah. clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how I actually sound when I sing. So, yeah. The Lovin' has gone through more than a few lineup changes over these six years. But Laurel and Michael have been the constants. And there's a theme here. The band's name, the songs, the history. No matter who's been part of The Lovin', it's always been meant to feel communal. More like a family than a band. Living together was almost like the epitome of that feeling of togetherness. And, and that was really special. And while lots of folks struggled with being stuck together too much over the past couple of years, the Lovin' used that time as opportunity to start writing new songs. Lovin' has a unique sound and style. Laurel cites Patti Smith as an influence, but you hear a little Amy Winehouse in there too. Showmanship is a big part of the Lovin's DNA too. So is androgyny. Fancy jackets, short haircuts, gold chains, and a little mystery. I show up to the release show for the band's new EP, Spotlight Starlet. Guitarist Tao King gives off serious Rick Nielsen vibes. It's not just a patterned suit jacket, the classic guitars and the sunglasses. It's how Teo moves on stage, nailing all the parts, providing the occasional gorgeous backing vocal, all like it's no big deal. Bass player Simon Barroso is also suited up. He kind of looks like Geddy Lee if he were in Simple Minds or Duran Duran. I say this as praise. Meanwhile, buried in the back, Mike Crutcher doubles on keyboards and guitar. Dude is grinning ear to ear throughout the set. He looks like he might be having more of a blast than anyone else in the room. And it's infectious. I'll have what he's having. Raziel provides the backbeat. He's sort of like the band's quiet conductor. 
and is the only one on stage not fashionably dressed. And then there's Laurel, who might be a bit of a unicorn in the Southeast. Not a lot of people here want to sing songs that are get that candid about sex, and so in different times that has given me a feeling of being more infamous um, and also like the outfits and stuff whereas before it was like if you don't wear just jeans and a t-shirt then you're a tryhard and we don't like tryhards and now I'm like fuck yeah tryhard like this is really hard I've seen your fashion you're definitely a tryhard <laughs> by, by their standards by their standards I've never even heard that expression up until right now I mean, if that's their standard, jeans and a t-shirt, yeah. and, you know, knowing what you wear. Well, let's talk about your fashion. It's a good segue. <laughs> Laurel starts the show in an oversized suit that David Byrne would be proud to possess. But soon into the show, Laurel's stripping down, bearing some skin, but also bearing her soul, as she pours through songs about relationships, identity, and sensuality. Nine years ago, Laura left California for Tennessee. And did you come here with intention? Yeah, take over the fucking world. <laughs> to be a rock star. A younger Laurel was more interested in books over music. And not exactly as confident a singer as she is today. My little brother and like our really, really close friend who's his same age, who's also like another of my little brothers, they started a band and I was so mad. And then their lead singer was like not dedicated enough because he wanted to play video games or something because they were 15. <laughs> and so that's how I got to be in the band because they're like, okay, I guess we need a singer. Like, do you think maybe you could do that? Because they like, heard me sing while we played rock band. I was 16. And so my first gig was at a taco eating contest in uh, Encinitas called Mr. Peabody's, this dive bar. I had like my big hair, my leather jacket. And I was like, this is the pinnacle. I'm a rock star. Um, Past the Cholula. Yeah, exactly. Dive bars led to coffee shops, small venues that allowed Laurel to find her chops, refine her songwriting, and lean into a blues rock style that ultimately led her to Nashville, where bands like Alabama Shakes and others had left an indelible impression. I was very much into Jack White, like hardcore at the time. And I was like, third man is here, I should be here in the Black Keys. And I had heard an interview with Grace Potter where she had said that Nashville is a city, but it's a small town because all the musicians know each other. You can't go to a coffee shop without running into somebody. And it was like, well, chances are one of those somebodies is going to be someone I can play with. Laurel Sorensen and I have something else in common besides Nashville, our undeniable sense of style, and our powerful voices. We both play piano and sing. And I know how hard it is to carry a rock show while behind the keys. It limits you. Like I have this really formative moment of being like 12 years old and watching the, like my dad had this DVD of like The Wall Live from Berlin and Cyndi Lauper comes out and does Another Brick in the Wall part two and she like with her big hair and she's just like. Watching her perform in that way that was so liberated and so wild, I was like, that's the thing. Now free to strut about on stage, Laurel's charisma carries the show, while the band's current lineup adds the necessary shades to her colorful performance. 
And I mentioned lineup changes earlier. It's a pretty common thing for an indie band that's been together for six years. But one uncommon departure changed the band forever. On June 4th, 2017, after the final show of a DIY tour, bassist John Latimer got in his car, intending to drive back to Nashville from Kentucky. He was nearly home when he crashed into a drunk driver going the wrong way on the freeway. The other driver survived. John Latimer didn't. He was only 25. And this was a formative time for the band. They were young and hungry and committed, not just to the music, but to each other. We were all just like so intertwined. It was like our group was like a really tightly held fist where we were like, there's all this other stuff going on, but we are together. And the sudden and tragic death of their bandmate, who had just graduated from college only months before he was gone, was only the beginning of the band's unraveling. John had died, but then also within the same 24-hour period, one of our background singers, her dad, had died. We were so young and so excited, and it was like everything just hit us so hard. It would be understandable if that were the end of the story, that the love-in just stopped, unable to overcome something so insurmountable. Lord knows that bands have dissolved over less. And maybe in this alternate universe, Laurel and Mike start other bands, have more success, have less success. Maybe they quit music altogether, because fuck, man, music means nothing. Fame means nothing. The world is cruel and random and senseless. It's all gone in a flash, so what's the point? But that's not what happens. Instead, the trauma transforms into fuel. I mean, fuck, imagine being 21, 22 years old and having your friend's parent be like, keep going, this is so good, and my, this was the best thing my son ever did. That was his life, and being in the lovin', according to his parents, was the best thing he ever did. That is super meaningful to continue to make sure that he gets to come along for the ride. I'll never meet John Latimer, so I'll never truly know how impactful he was to the lovin', how deep his bond was with Laurel and Mike and the other members of the band. But during my prep for this interview, I go digging. There's a video of the band performing inside a house. It's 2016. They kick into a song called Want You For Your Body. John starts things off with a single simple note. And for the rest of the song, he seems to be in the center of it all. Totally at ease, laying down a basic yet crucial groove alongside Michael's backbeat. He's wearing a black cap, teal blue sneakers, smiling and bobbing along to the rhythm he's helping create. Even though he's a stranger to me, it still seems incomprehensible that the dude I'm watching no longer walks the earth. So I can only imagine what the void feels like for the people who knew him. There's such a almost unspeakable bond that goes on when you really click with people musically and those are special relationships, you know. tribute page on Facebook reveals John's last ever post, one he made on the night of his final show and his final night on the planet. 
It reads, After playing 11 shows in the span of 15 days on the road, we're on the way to Bowling Green, Kentucky tonight to do one last victory lap. Social media hasn't helped make death any less spooky. It hammers in the fact that a lot of the time, we have no idea what's in store for us. One day we're here, and the next day, poof. But maybe John's post was prophetic. However short it was, maybe John's life was victorious too. After losing John, the band regroups. It doesn't happen overnight, and not without more changes. And like all independent bands, the Lovin' has their share of misadventures. Those spinal tap stories you hear all the time. They parted ways with managers who didn't know how to promote them. Met with industry types who gave them the usual banal cookie-cutter advice, instead of trying to understand them. The Lovin' saw an opportunity to open for the band Bleachers in North Carolina, nearly get washed away by Mother Nature. Like, it was like not like, oh, it's raining. It was like monsoon rain, and it was also the summer, so it was hot and we're in a van with just a fucking minivan and it's like storming to shit, but it's still humid and hot and we're in all our shit and there's five people in the van and we're all starting to sweat. It's like, dude. (laughs) Now I have about seven stories like this and some of them like this one have happy endings. After every storm ends, the sun eventually comes back out. We just still got to go on their set ended a little bit early yeah, because of the rain. Them. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, we didn't care because we're our, like we've played this amazing set. We've got all these people like dancing to our songs and like just seeing the excitement and the joy. And then I got to go and run around in the crowd like during their set. And so that was really fun to like be surrounded by strangers that are like just so excited to see you. And yeah. And then I think we went back to Mike's mom's house and it was on. Yeah. <laughs> But it doesn't change the fact that rock and roll can feel like army training sometimes. Like more of a curse than a blessing. Even when there's lasagna involved. My favorite song on the new three-song EP is the middle one. I have it pronounced here as... Let's go. Elio. Yeah, there we go. I at first thought it was about the frozen pizza, Elio's Pizza. <laughs> it is now. I, I yeah, actually yeah, yeah. read it before I listened to the song. I thought it was L O, that it was E L L O. And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> but no, it's Elio. A lot of Lovin' songs have that glam rock energy, that strut. But Elio lulls you. It's less structured. It gets quiet in spots, intimate. At least before it blossoms into this layered and epic Beach Boy style outro. It's a feeling of like lying on the beach and feeling like the sun over your whole body. And I was like a little stoned and I was like, oh my God, I'm having sex with the sun. This is what this feels like. And so that's what the song, the texture is like. I'm just like, vibe. Is this perhaps a sign of future loving songs to come? It takes what we do and still is us, but in kind of a pump the brakes moment of like, oh, and they can do this thing. Like, that's kind of cool. It opens up a big world of of songwriting and arrangements to us that we want to continue to kind of explore. However the lovin' evolves from this point on, their heads and their hearts are in the right place. And their motivation to keep evolving remains steeped in what's important. Their intentions are pure. Because everything about this is about making art. That is the success. And so the success being that it helps you make more art. 
there's still the pie in the sky, 13 year old kid, like I wanna play Wembley, I wanna play Madison Square Garden, whatever. Like, of course I still want that to happen. I still, in my heart of hearts, believe that it will happen at some point. But if you're just measuring your success by that, there's a whole journey along the way that you're gonna miss out on. Enjoy the journey sounds like such a self-help guru cliche, but any band will tell you that the journey is filled with as many valleys as it has peaks. And guess what? Playing Madison Square Garden? That ain't no thing. My band opened for Amy Mann at the Garden a few moons ago at an indoor tennis event. And it was not a good experience. It, w it was on the way to drive my car to the train to get to Madison Square Garden. I blew out my car's transmission by hitting like an exposed manhole cover. We went the night before and we're in the dressing room at the garden and they got the cheese played out in the dressing room and I get to watch Amy Mann sing Save Me or whatever song she was doing at that time and I'm just sitting there and the lights are down and I'm like, oh, this is fucking amazing. And then the next day, the tennis event wound up going like 17 sets more than it should have gone. Amy Mann went on before us, played one song instead of three songs because people were like exhausted at this point and wanted to get the fuck out of there. And then we went on and we played one song and literally like the the union guys were like breaking down the tables in the section below us while we're playing our three and a half minute pop song, you know? So the idea of just on paper playing Madison Square Garden or playing Wembley Stadium or opening for a band that you love, I'm just here to tell you that if you do make it to Madison Square Garden, just be careful about those exposed manhole covers. Eat as much cheese as you can. Eat, just eat as much from the cheese platter as you can because things are going to go wrong after that. <laughs> so I wouldn't just say enjoy the journey. I'd say endure it too. Because if you're going to take this independent music trip, you're going to hit some bumps in the road. Lovin' is still marching on, still going on tours. They do it for themselves, they do it for John. They do it for the fans, too. And the fact that they've continued to persevere says a lot about them, about where they've been, and where they might be headed next. Performing is a service. People, like after our last tour, were like, I needed that catharsis. When I saw the Lovin' was coming to town, I was like, it doesn't matter what I have going on that day, I'm going because I need that, I need to feel that. And that, to me, that's success. That symbiosis is beautiful. Spotlight Starlet, the new EP by The Lovin', available to stream now on Spotify. Find out more about the new release, watch the videos at thelovin.band. Big thanks to Michael and Laurel for sharing their time and a wonderful conversation. And hey, you. Yeah, you, listening to this thing with your ears. Thank you. Independent Minded is celebrating its 10th year in the podcast verse. <laughs> you can listen to all 10 years worth of interviews wherever you listen to your podcasts. Find out more and hear archived episodes at baldfreak.com slash podcast. <laughs>